This program is sponsored by Wicked, Chronic, and Natick, Massachusetts. Located on 185 Worcester Street, right on Route 9, they can be reached at 508-545-8105 or at wickedchronicvendorcommerce.com. Wicked Chronic is a boutique-style retail shop that focuses on selling counterculture products such as Wiccan cannabis cultures coming together in a unique setting. You need something for that special spell? Go on down to Wicked Chronic in Natick, Massachusetts and speak to Beverly. Tell him Dr. Chris sent you. Check them out today. podcast dedicated to all the canceled television shows of the horror, science fiction, and fantasy genres. And we are your hosts. I am Mr. Seneca. And I am Dr. Chris. And, and we are finishing The Adams Family tonight. Yes, we are. The, with the last three episodes. And what you just heard is a, just a little portion of The Adams Family Groove by M.C. Hammer from the original Adams Family film in the 90s. I particularly like that song. <laughs> I don't sit through the credits to listen to it, so... Ah, yes. (laughs) I had the album. (laughs) Okay, so, shall we begin? Yes. So, we got three episodes tonight. One to do with insurance, one to do with uh, a love interest for Lurch, again, I think. Swear we've already done that. And Ophelia's Return, which is the final episode. Yes. But honestly, I don't think they knew they were going to get canceled, so maybe that wasn't supposed to be the final episode. I don't believe it was. According to John Aston, he was kind of blindsided by the whole decision. Wow. All right. Well, we'll get there at the very end. So first, the Adams policy, which is actually the best of the three episodes. Agreed. The Adams policy originally aired March 25th, 1966. Uncle Fester's mishap with a new flamethrower sets the stuffed bear aflame in the Adams living room. Morticia calls the double indemnity insurance company to have it replaced. But the head of the company, A.J. Henson, is reluctant to comply. Eventually, it leads to company agent Mr. Digby getting the boot for failing to cancel all the Adams policies and not backing Mr. Henson in all things. Now the Adams feel compelled to help Mr. Digby establish his own insurance company. I... That was kind of the best part right there when the Adams family decided to give him a business. But I'll get there. we'll get there in a second. Yeah, we'll get there. <laughs> So he uses a flamethrower to light the uh, fireplace, and then they use it to light the cigar. Which accidentally... And I thought that was hilarious. Yeah, they're doing a whole, like, William Tell type of thing with the cigar. And I and I have to say that the flames, when the bear goes on fire, are really good. 
And you can tell that there's actually a fire on the studio set because of the way the shadows play on Morticia and Fester. They Hold on one second. We are reaching out again from the Federal Student Loan Advocacy. Okay. Damn it. That was a Maryland phone number that was on my caller ID, and I was yeah, hoping that, that was John leaving a message saying... That would be nice. That would have been nice, but it's not. So I'm going to try his assistant one more time before the end of the week and then be like, listen, if you, if you can't do it, we just need a definite yes or no answer. I don't want to pester Mr. Aston, but I would love an answer at least just to make sure his assistant actually gave it to him. True. But again, I'm going to see Brian O'Halloran next weekend at Rhode Island Comic Con, so I'll ask him if he can come on the show. He's always willing to do interviews, so. Okay, cool. That should be hopefully easier than John. Plus, I mean, Brian's riding high on the fact that Jane Silent Bob Redo just came out, and Kevin Smith has officially announced they are doing Clerks 3. Yes. Yeah. So he, he said oh. Clerks 3 is officially greenlit to give Dante and Randall the ending they deserve. We'll see. Anyway, all right, sorry, back to the episode. So, uh, yeah, the, the only reason we're bringing this up also is because we're going to take a week off, and then we're going to start Clerks, the animated series, very quickly, and we have Brian, We might have Brian Holleran on if he can come on the show. I know Michael Raven Shadow from the Trick or Treat Radio is going to come back on and talk about Kevin Smith and love of Kevin Smith with us, so... All sorts of good stuff, but back to a uh, burning bear, which turns into a pile of A pile of ash. Yeah, a pile of ash. And so one of the gags right here is that uh, Mr. Digby says, that doesn't look like it used to be a bear. And then Morticia goes through a wide list, and it's done in montage form, so it took a, a long time. So like, well, does it look like an antelope? No. Well, does it look like a, a gorilla? No. Does it look like a zebra? No. And it, she does this until he's worn down enough to say that that does look like a bear, even though it's just a pile of ash. Right. I thought that was a hilarious little bit. Now, because Digby and Mr. Henson have been in previous episodes, we're not going to go into their careers again. <laughs> Gomez does read The Raven by Edgar Allan Poe in this episode, which is pretty funny. Yeah, I really like it. Mr. Henson, he says... If we gave people everything they want, we would soon be out of business. Digby, there are two ends to running the insurance game, taking the money in and refusing to pay it out. Perfect. That is a perfect description of insurance. Right. Do you think that's why insurance companies don't want to pay out because they're going to lose money? Yes, absolutely. Unbelievable. Like the first HMOs were in Asia. The emperor would pay the local doctors to prevent people from getting ill. And that kind of transformed into the HMOs we have today. And then the insurance, which is kind of within that, kind of got perverted into being more, you know, don't pay out any people's claims. They're still going to get sick and you don't have anything to do with it. And I think insurance companies take advantage of people so much Oh, if it was just covered and we didn't have insurance companies, that would be great. Or Mr. Henson nails right on the head with that. The insurance Yeah, I think, I think we need insurance, unfortunately. As much as we don't want to admit it, it does benefit you when you do need it. But if all our health care was covered, then we wouldn't need insurance for it. All right. We're not, ah. gonna have we're not going to get into the insurance okay. discussion of, of universal Not when, not when we're talking about insurance. No, we're not going to do this. We're, okay, we're okay. Not, right. Jesus Christ. <laughs> so Mr. Henson lays off Mr. Digby, just fires him in front of the Adamses. And, of course, the Adamses take pity on him and try to do what they can for him, which is give him a business opportunity in one of Gomez's own businesses, or just create an insurance company for him. They end up going with the latter. 
because he does not want to be in crocodile farms or a monkey-run mango farm. It is also funny that, yeah, that they're going to make all their money off of rejects or whatever. Now, who is Sigmund Freud that shows up to buy insurance? Oh, that is Mr. Henson in disguise. Oh, he was in disguise. Okay. Yes. Mr. Henson in disguise because he wanted to see what the competition was offering with insurance. And then once he found out the Adams were running it and what they were offering, he did not think he was in any competition whatsoever. Not until he realized that most of his big businesses are owned by <laughs> Gomez Adams. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All of his big enterprises that they've got policies for. So Digby didn't actually cancel all of the Adams' policies and definitely didn't cancel any of the industrial policies. And that's, a, I guess, what where they make the money. It is funny that he didn't realize that his biggest businesses are coming from the guy that he can't stand the most. True. I would have to imagine that Gomez Adams has several different umbrella corporations that everything goes under. So it would oh, be right. easy to like not really know who runs it. It's underneath an umbrella corp corporation, which has a conglomerate, and you know, underneath that. And I guess if it wasn't publicized all that often, then yeah, no one would know. In this episode, we also get the idea that Lurch does graphic design work. He didn't seem to really enjoy the prospect of doing it, but he does a graphic design sign for the Digby Insurance Company. I love the first thing that Digby says after the Adams present to him the different avenues of the office that they've set up in their home or whatever. And it's like, is there anything we can do for you? Yes, take my name off the sign. (laughs) 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 Fester becomes a medical examiner, which is pretty funny. Yeah, I would never, uh, I would definitely not entrust my life with Fester. No, definitely not. Mama was actually in charge of the life expectancy, you know, looking into her crystal ball, and thusly found out that Mr. Henson was in disguise. She pulled off his beard, you know, in this big reveal. So they get a new bear, but it's not a polar bear. Correct. It's a brown bear, which is very similar to the brown bear that they originally had, but didn't appear on camera too well. No, it it is funny. At the end of the episode, I guess Digby is in traction because he secured the bear. Yeah, they, they had to hunt down a bear for them. And immediately they set it on fire again, accidentally, again. Again. Now, do we know... Okay, I wasn't really looking looking for it, but in the next episode, does the white bear show up in the background? Oh, you know, I wasn't even looking for that. I don't think that these were filmed well, in order. why don't we move on to the next episode now, which is Lurch's Grand Romance. Lurch's with a character that actually sticks around the entire episode, and also, like, complete opposite of what the way Lurch is. Lurch is all aloof and afoot. Give us the plot synopsis. All right. Lurch's Grand Romance originally aired April 1st, 1966. Morticia's school chum, Trivia, visits. Lurch is obviously smitten by her, but Trivia's interest is entirely in show business. Morticia decides to change Trivia's mind by making Lurch more exciting than showbiz. She enlists others in the family to help, including Grandma Ma, whose love potion makes the biggest and wildest impact of all. Now, this is the first time we've seen Cousin Trivia, correct? Well, it's not a cousin. It's just a, a school chum. So this is school chum. Okay, all Morticia's right. Morticia's best friend trivia. From school. Yes. Which is unique because a lot of the side characters usually come from the Adam side. That's true. Trivia is Morticia's best friend. And in this entire episode, you don't really see them actually be- being best friends. No, that's what's kind of weird. They're not, like, hanging out together. Yeah. I mean, she gets, like, hit with a love potion and then automatically becomes Name stricken hungry. by every other guy in the house, the exception of Pugsley. Yeah, yeah. He's, this this episode doesn't actually have Pugsley, just like in the previous one, there were no kids. Right. We get Wednesday. Yeah, we get Wednesday. Teaching Lurch Which how is, to dance. Yeah, and he, she says, you don't want to be considered a square, do you? And that's when you know it's the 60s. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, by those dancing styles, the droop is a 60s dance, yeah. Was April Fool's Day established by 1966? I believe so. Okay, because this aired on April Fool's Day. It did. By the way, the woman who plays trivia is really cute in this episode, but if you look at her IMDb and the other stuff that she's done or whatever, she is really pretty, and she only died last year. Wow. And this is the last thing she did. Her IMDb goes completely blank after this episode. Like, what did she do from 1966 until she died? And I mean, she died October 9th of last year. Diane Jerry. Yeah, can you believe that? She died, like, October 9th of last year. That's weird. The fact that she lived up until 2018. Even though this was her last acting credit, she started acting, like, 1946. Um, she had a 20-year career, saved her money, and then retired? I, I just It's just kind of strange sometimes that IMDb just cuts off at a date, and it's like either A, yeah, they literally just dropped off the Hollywood map, or nobody updated their IMDb. Either one of those is possible. Because you can update IMDb. I can update IMDb. But who starts updating IMDb to begin with, like when it got started? I have no clue, man. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, so moving on. I mean, she was an actress. She was in stuff. Island of Lost Women is probably the only thing I've seen her in. The Adventure of Ozzy and Harriet. She was in that for a number of Great. episodes. Did you ever watch that show? I did. <laughs> uh, I also watched a little bit of The Many Loves of Dobie Gillis, which she was also in. So, yeah. I've watched a couple of the things she's been in. That's too funny that you watched <laughs> Ozzy and Harriet. <laughs> I watch older TV. Give me a break. <laughs> I don't watch much older TV beyond this, Batman, Three's Company. I mean, I might rewatch the first season of Charlie's Angels. Okay. Charlie's Angels is apparently coming out on Blu-ray in HD for the first time ever because there's a movie coming out oh. that looks terrible. Oh. <laughs> I'm sorry, but you're never going to beat that 2004 movie with Lucy Liu, Cameron Diaz, and Drew Barrymore. That's true. That's true. You're not going to beat that movie. I'm sorry. That movie was just too great. Also, the original Charlie voice actor returned one last time, Jonathan Forsythe. Oh, wow. Yeah. He returned Charlie's Angels and Charlie's Angels Full Throttle, which was the sequel. Cool. In this episode, when we see Wednesday dance with Lurch and Morticia steps into the room, she says something pretty interesting, which is, Oh, what a pleasant surprise. I thought the mazurka went out ages ago. The mazurka! The same goddamn mazurka that I mentioned that is in the new Adams Family animated movie, that they shouldn't use that name because that's a Polish dance. In this scene, Morticia says that the mazurka went out ages ago. And, of course, Wednesday's not dancing in the mazurka. She's dancing the droop. Okay, so do you think that's where they get the um, the mazurka from, from the new movie? I don't think so. I think they just didn't research it. Really? Honestly, yes. Why would you use an existing Polish dance that's like a national dance to say that it was your family dance? Unless the family is supposed to be Polish, that doesn't quite seem the case in the movie. I just think they didn't think it through. Ah, uh, okay. I don't see any other explanation why they would put an actual dance in there unless it was done because someone heard the word and thought it sounded fun. Gotcha. Okay, now, all right. Yeah. It's just funny that the episode that we're reviewing just happens to be coinciding with the name of the dance that's in the... Uh... I know, I know. It's strange. So Morticia offers a musical angle for Lurch to actually win over trivia because trivia is all about music. She She just goes around the house just singing this, like, jaunty little tune. Oh, boy, I'm lucky. I'll say I'm lucky. This is my lucky day. The entire episode is her singing that. So, nowadays, I don't think you can use love potions. Are you allowed to use love potions in mind control anymore, or is everything hashtag me too and offensive because it's an allegory for rape? Well... 
<laughs> I hit you with that one. <laughs> <I>? <laughs> uh, anything that overcomes your free will is seen as not really cool to do, but if Today, you're willing to actually take the consequences for it, it might be worth it. I mean, I still see love potions used in certain contexts, and even in like kids' cartoons, you know what I mean? Doesn't it eventually lead to you like banging somebody that's not ready to be banged by you? Maybe, if it works. And also, love potions tend to work too much, like this one. This one in the episode is kind of an example of that, where she takes the love potion, immediately she's man-hungry. And the first man she sees is Lurch, the second man she sees is Gomez, the third man she sees is Fester, the fourth man she sees is Cousin It, and she goes after all of them. Now, let's say this was like a porno, okay? Yeah. And... (laughs) If they all took advantage of her throwing themselves at her, would that be okay? No, it wouldn't, because she's under the influence of something that does not leave her in control. Right, okay, so it's just like a roofie, basically. Yeah, it's overcoming her free will. And anything that overcomes free will, whether it's alcohol or love potion, is not really cool to do to take advantage of someone. If you do it, you need to be ready for the consequences. It'll come back to you three times. In all three of your holes? Yeah, no. (laughs) Uh, Only because, on hey, a good day. Only on a good day. It works, it works both ways. Women. How often do women use love potions over men versus men over women? How many stories of that do you think happens? Ah, uh, hoodoo is full of that. Yeah. In Superman comic books back in the 50s, every five minutes a comic book had to do with like some sci-fi weirdness. Lois Lane was constantly trying to love potion Superman into like super banging her. I mean, okay, sorry, let me, let me rephrase that, okay, for, for everyone who's a little, little bit too sensitive. 1950s comics or whatever, Lois was constantly trying to get Superman to marry her. That eventually would lead to Superman banging Lois Lane. <laughs> Yeah, like, she, like she's not in control, fully in control of himself, and he accidentally just rips her in half, like, exactly. her. <laughs> Only Wonder Woman would have a uterus strong enough to... <laughs> I mean, Superman and Lois have been married for years in the comic books, whether it's in uncontinuity or out of continuity, or they're back into being in the continuity. So they've clearly had sex. I mean, Henry Cavill jumps into the bathtub with Amy Adams in Batman vs. Superman. So I'm sure Superman has the ability to slow himself down. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm sure he can be gentle, <laughs> treat women like tissue paper so that he doesn't rip them in half. And I, 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 I'm waiting for the freaking writer of DC to write that story and be like, you know, someone asked Superman, so how do you have, because Superman's identity is going to be revealed to the world soon, which has happened before, but it was erased from continuity. It's going to happen again, but Superman's going to do it on his own terms. It's not going to be someone else who thinks it's good for the good of of mankind that they reveal that Clark Kent is Superman. No, Superman is going to take off his Clark Kent clothes on camera to reveal he is Superman. And I'm wondering if Brian Michael Bendis is a ballsy enough writer that someone's going to ask Lois Lane, so how do you screw Superman without getting ripped in half? Very carefully. (laughs) That's all the notes I have for this episode. We probably should have saved this for the Clerks episode. <laughs> we'll bring it up again. You know us. You know. Actually, that cartoon is pretty tame compared to that movie, let me tell you. Yeah. There's not some ex-girlfriend screwing a dead Jewish guy in the bathroom. True, true. Yeah, the last little bit of the episode, uh, <laughs> Grandmama drinks the rest of the love potion. She gets up, dances for a minute, and then the little chime goes off to let you know that the potion is worn off. Gomez comes up to her like, what's wrong? And she just kind of lays back and says, 
age, my boy. Just age. Implying that she's too old to actually be in love like that. Probably. Yeah. Probably. Spell fizzled out. And that's all the notes I have for this episode. All right, let's move on to the final episode of The Addams Family. No breaks, as we are we're doing three episodes tonight to round out our long coverage of this amazing show. Unfortunately, it doesn't end on a high note. I do want to point out, by the way, that IMDb lists certain episodes as comedy family horror. I guess any episode that Ophelia in is considered a horror? <laughs> <laughs> Only because you don't like her. I don't like her. She is cousin what's-his-face from the Brady Bunch or any time. Notice that she doesn't really appear until this season, mostly towards the end. Like, they were really pushing her to become a new character on the show. Yeah, it does seem like that. You know, her appearances kind of drive the plot of the episode. But she is more regular, just like Cousin It is more regular on the second half of the second season. I will do the final for this episode, since I'm not a big fan of it. Ophelia's career. Original air date, April 8th, 1966. Ophelia visits, upset as usual, the latest boyfriend has left her. And as usual, the family tries to find something she's good at. So basically the same plot line we've got before, again, and again, and again. Ophelia's plot lines are very similar all the time, going back to her first appearance when she was originally supposed to marry Gomez. Yeah, all of her plot lines have several traits. You know, one, that she cries a lot. Several uh, traits that are all bad, you mean. <laughs> <laughs> well, they're all Ophelia traits. So, uh. cries a lot. Of course, she wears the Ophelia outfit and the, the daisies in her hair. She does judo, and that bothers a lot of people. Yeah, because she's just flipping people around left and right. It's just an annoying, like, oh, this is supposed to be funny. It's like, no, it's not. Jeez. Well, if you consider the time frame, you know, in the 60s, women were becoming more independent. And so Ophelia doing this judo, in a nutshell, that is her being independent. She can defend herself. I think it fits within the time frame. It's just kind of annoying to us as modern watchers. I guess so. I mean, I just don't think this character would fly very well if she showed up in, like, some new modern version of the Addams Family. You'd have to change a few traits about her. This episode begins with Uncle Fester on top of a sawmill playing almost a chicken-style game with the saw blades. And he ends up winning by it not actually killing him, and he blew out views of the machine with his own body's electrical current. I thought that was pretty cool. When Ophelia comes into the scene, Pugsley, I think this is his only real lines in the sh- in the episode. He says, "Oh, cheer up, Aunt Ophelia. You'll make a very nice old maid." And then she starts crying again at that. Ouch. Yeah. I think that's still pretty relevant to today, to a woman having that reaction. Yeah, yeah. Her recent beau, Throckmorton, didn't like her jujitsu. But at the end of the episode, like all of the Ophelia episodes, we have to reset back. And so she gets back her Throckmorton because he also learned jujitsu in order to match her. That's love right there. This episode actually covers six months of time because they start turning attention towards uh, Ophelia getting a career. Maybe that will get her out of this mindset to, to have a partner. First career that they try to choose for her is, is chemistry. You know, just mix some chemicals together and see what she finds. There is a moment which is kind of lost on more modern audiences because this is a pop culture joke of the era. But when she's actually pouring in those chemicals, Fester is there helping her. He doesn't want Ophelia to use the sulfuric acid that he uses as aftershave. She embraces his head very closely and lovingly and says, There's something about a sulfuric acid man. 
it's kind of weird because they are actually related. You know, she really does kind of have a thing for Fester's looks. This is specifically a parody of an Aqua Velva aftershave marketing campaign of the 60s. So everyone at the time knew this, but modern audiences, this joke will just go over their heads. And then they blow up everything with a chemistry set. What do you think the point of having Ophelia around so much was, in your opinion? Again, my opinion is that she was added to become a new cast member. Maybe Carolyn Jones really liked playing her, and whenever the opportunity arose to have Ophelia in an episode, she took it. So she didn't have to wear the black dress all the time? No, she just liked to play something different, too. You know, she, That's what I mean. Yeah, she, she got probably paid for both of those roles. Oh, double the paycheck, you mean. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. If, was the sack even around back then? Yes. Okay. Most definitely it was around. Okay. Do you think it was... I I, uh, I agree with that. I'm just wondering if 1960s practices and standards towards uh, paying actors double what they're supposed to be paid for double the role, especially women, was even a thing yet. Well, I don't have confirmation that she was double paid, but considering that Ted Cassidy was double paid, he was paid for both being Thing and for being Lurch. So and I, he was a man. Yeah, and I guess I guess I mean she is having equal screen time between her, you know, and playing. So I, I then you're probably right. Just regardless of whether or not she's a woman or not, because again, women in Hollywood are not paid that well sometimes. I mean, God, the first. Do you know who the first woman was in Hollywood? And I'm assuming this means television as well, because there was nobody even paid this much money in television at the time. But do you know who the first woman was in Hollywood to be paid a million dollars for a movie? Who? Sigourney Weaver. And can you guess what movie it was? Ghostbusters? Aliens. Aliens, wow. Yep, she wouldn't come back for less than a million dollars. Wow. And James James Cameron said he wouldn't film unless the studio paid her. Wow, I would have thought there would have been a million dollar actress way before that. Nope. Sigourney Weaver was the first actress to negotiate a million dollar paycheck, which, let's face it, after taxes, she didn't really get a million dollars. Unless she got some of the box office residuals, which I don't know anything about that, but as far as I'm aware, Sigourney Weaver was the first Hollywood actress to be paid $1 million for a movie. Nowadays, I think the highest paid female actress is Scarlett Johansson. That's because she's an Avenger. <laughs> and I mean, and also, she's going to star her own movies. Black Widow comes Widow, out yeah. next day. Yeah, and Black Widow, by the way, is the tentpole comic book movie to kick off the summer movie lineup, and it's going to star a woman. That's kind of a big deal. When Wonder Woman didn't even come out till late May, early June. But for them to put that much investment in a Black Widow movie that takes place before the events of that we are aware of that happens in Endgame. Yeah, that's, that's incredible. Yeah. So do we ever know how much Carolyn Jones got for this role per episode? It was not in her biography. On this episode, there's a moment where they're transitioning Ophelia into becoming a musician. Morticia says to Gomez, Let's go to the playroom and read. And Gomez responds, I've got a better idea. Let's go to the playroom and play. And then they get that sexy smirk on their face as they walk off. The next scene shows them actually playing hockey in the playroom. Well, Vic Mizzy, who of course did all of the music, for this playroom scene, he snuck in a few bars of a public service announcement jingle that he did about the dangers of crossing the street. You can hear it in the background. I could not actually get full version of it, but it's basically in the middle, in the middle, in the middle of the block. 
and that's in uh, instrumental form. So he stuck that in there as kind of a nod to his work for the PSA. And just to also point out, yes. 66 episodes of the show, the music is pretty much recycled through most of the episodes. True, but that stanza was original in no other episodes except this one. Nowadays, I think almost every episode has its own unique soundtrack. Yeah. And that might be negotiation, like, you know what, if I'm going to do this job, I want to do it like a movie. Every episode will get new music out of me. I, I mean, they do recycle some music here and there. The Flash has or whatever. But, I mean, entire seasons you can buy on CD on uh, La La Land Records of television shows. Awesome. Yeah, definitely. Ophelia has a special voice that allows her to harmonize with herself. And so the Signora Bellini spent six months training her in order to actually get that harmonizing voice ready for the opera. On the day that she was supposed to do it, Fester's Singer Squirt Throat Spray actually gets rid of all of the harmonizing and she sounds like a screeching bat, but she recovers. Well, that's all the coverage we have here for the Adams Family to take a break for a week or so. So there'll be no episode the week of Halloween. We wanted to get this done by Halloween. So when we come back, we will begin our coverage of Clerks the Animated Series. Two episodes at a time, but it will be on a bi-weekly schedule. We are returning to a bi-weekly schedule. And just to close out our episode, I have the last little bit of information about Charles Adams and the Adams Family and the close of the show and everything. Let's wrap it up in a nice, neat bow and say goodbye to the Adams family. Charles Adams never envisioned his characters being such a well-adjusted family. His humor was dark, very dark. It was on the edge of violence, but never quite there. It was alluded to with an inkwash style all his own. The Adams family was more like a Charles Adams-flavored show, capturing the wit and style of Charles Adams, but not the true darkness. Mixed in with Marx Brothers gags and wordplay, made real by performances so iconic they live on in our hearts, undiminished by time. A romance unceasing and in the grand manner, as John Aston suggested. The Adams Family ended April 8, 1966. The Munsters ended a month later on May 12, 1966. Why? Neither one was actually a huge hit. The Munsters peaked at number 18 and the Adams Family at number 23. That's good, but not great. Although David Levy, the producer, said that he would expect the Adams Family to run five years, it only ran two. The Munsters and the Adams Family shared a specific monster genre. They also shared a number of similar episode plot lines. Maybe because audiences were growing tired of campy TV or the abundance of monster merchandising that led to the monster fatigue. In an interview February 2018 with the Television Academy Foundation, John Aston says that he was blindsided by the cancellation and talks about network politics being lumped in with the monsters. Was it a surprise when you found out it had been canceled? Yes. Shock. Hmm. Yeah. Why do you think that it didn't... I think it was just a big accident. I think... uh, I, I know that... The president of the network then uh, had a a slightly different sense of humor. And also, the, uh, you see, uh, Batman had come on opposite the monsters. And A lot of the programming people thought about Adams and Munsters as the same kind of show. Did you see it that way? No. 
there was they were very different and 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 probably appealed to different audiences or at least different percentages of of people mm -hmm. i um, i didn't see because it was on the air uh that the um, at the same during the same period uh not time period but uh, uh, uh period of years they 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 were on at the same time and when you're doing a show you're so darn busy uh you, you don't really have time to sometimes even to watch your own show so i I didn't see the monsters until many years later, um, and uh, <coughs> and then it would just be I'd catch an episode or something and see it. Um, so uh, the you see, the, but the network, some of the network people anyway, thought of them in the same breath and and batman was opposite the monsters and batman came on uh, with a big rush it was a storm and uh had tough to go up against mm. and uh, uh and they thought that that would that eventually the uh, i think there's some thinking that the adams family would go away mm. Well. And lots of places were programming it in in prime time. Not not just uh, you know in reruns right. in rerun time, but prime time. Right. And uh, it was very successful. I mean, it's you know, still going somewhere. John Aston went on to take over the role of the Riddler in the Batman TV show when actor Frank Gorshin demanded too much money to return for a second season. I want to settle a rumor. The Addams Family was not canceled because of color TV. I could not find one shred of evidence to suggest that color Addams Family was even considered. The black and white style of the show mimicked Charles' Addams cartoons precisely. Ultimately, Charles Adams earned $141,276 from the show, which is $1,116,138.15. That's from episodes, reruns, merchandise, royalties, and foreign rights. Filmways approached Charles Adams to bring his family back to air in September 1976. By January 1977, Charles Adams was already making money on the deal. Of course, the second ex-wife, Barbara Barb Coyleson, still owned partial rights to the Adams family. She made the entire process frustrating for all involved. Just like she nearly got the original series canned before it even began, she started negotiating demands. From what I can tell, Halloween with the new Adams family was supposed to be a pilot that Barbara Barb negotiated into becoming a holiday spectacular. Honestly, no one liked the special or gave it budget to really pull it off. Barbara was threatening legal actions up to three weeks before the air date, so maybe that was a factor. Halloween with the New Adams Family aired on October 30, 1977 on NBC. It was shot entirely in color on videotape in a Los Angeles mansion with a terrible script. David Levy said that the show was about 40% of what it should have been and was the product of network bureaucratic interference. 
Lisa Loring, Wednesday, said in the commentary track for episode one on the discs that whoever wrote that reunion should have been shot. Sorry. If you haven't seen it, it's, wow, it's, it's just really bad. Grown-up Pugsley and Wednesday come back, but there's also a young kid, Pugsley and Wednesday, too. Gomez has a brother, Pablo, that is a carbon copy of him, and Pablo has a hot for Morticia. The main plot line is two robbers sneak into the house on Halloween during a party. It's not very original and seems hastily thrown together. The lighting is unforgiving, and the location seems too mundane and not properly dressed in the Adams style. But a paycheck is a paycheck. Charles Adams got about $30,000 for the special, which is $237,012.26 today. Ted Cathy Lurch really enjoyed the paycheck for that special as well, saying that he got paid quite a lot of money for that. But really, it was the time together with his fellow castmates that he treasured. Being on the Adams family was certainly a unique experience. For as much of themselves they added to the roles, the characters molded to their own image. This show will always be, to me, a bright spot of television history. Who knows what other Adams Family iterations there will be. The Adams Family, as well as Charles Adams himself, was a celebration of the unconventional in a world of conformity. Thank you for joining us on the Dead TV Podcast. If you want to read all the source material that I used to fill in all the delicious information on the Adams Family and Charles Adams, check out The Adams Chronicles, Everything You Ever Wanted to Know About the Adams Family by Stephen Cox. The Adams Family Revealed by James Van Hees. The Adams Family and Evolution by H. Kevin Miseroshi. In Morticia's Shadow, The Life and Career of Carolyn Jones by James Pyland. And special thanks to Linda H. Davis, the author of Charles Adams, A Cartoonist Life, the biography of Charles Adams. It is by far the most well-researched insights into this remarkable artist. If you haven't listened to our interview with her, find it on our past podcast listings. Don't forget, you can check us out on Facebook for all our updates on what shows we're covering next. We'll be on Clerks for a brief amount of time and then switching over to Witchblade finally. Don't forget, again, we are going back to a bi-weekly schedule. We have been on weekly for almost two years through Friday the 13th, Dracula, Fawn the Animated Series, and this one. It was about time we went back to bi-weekly. So we'll be doing two episodes of Clerks. Don't forget, you can also find us on Twitter at Christy, at TV, and at Elgently Kinky. If you would like to follow us, you can also follow the rest of the podcast here on the Radio Horror Network on RadioHorror.com. Thanks to Wicked Chronic for being our sponsor for the last couple of years. We leave the Adams Family as we found them with joyous, macabre silliness. <laughs> I didn't know what else to say. <laughs> it was great to share my passion of the Adams Family with all of you. Good night, everyone. Thank you, everybody. <laughs>